Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I am again without uh, Michelle or Jimmy, um, but I luckily have my friends Leo Bryan. Hi Lee. Hello Stephanie. And Jeff Payne. Hello Stephanie. Here to talk to me today and the reason I brought them in is because as 18th and 19th century specialists respectively, Jeff being 18th, Lee being 19th, we all are interested in George Eliot. So let's talk about George let's Eliot, about shall George. we? George, gorgeous George. Why should we still read George Eliot? Why should we still read George Eliot? Because well, she's good. Because <laughs> she's, she's, she's amazing. Um, where do I still read it? Um, I, I love, of all her novels, I guess I love Middlemarch the most. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I just. It, it's that Middlemarch, a story of provincial life. It's that sense she gives of, of this vast canvas of, of, of this particular world that she's she's showing us. And so there's the characters, there's there's the complexity behind it, ideas of reform and change and, and what people are capable of. And uh, she sort of registers all kinds of cultural anxieties about changing roles, changing class um, things. Uh, so I, I think she and she to me she has a very humane intelligence. Mm. Um, she develops, she comes, she develops the the Jane Austen thing of, of caring about families and women and the way life can be made livable and, and sort of bearable for, <laughs> for ordinary people who can be in a lot of trouble just just dealing with the social structures that they're born into which aren't just and aren't fair and often conspire to hurt people. So she has that idea that I think is fundamental to the romance plot, the idea of the rescue into love, but she complicates that enormously and she shows the failure of that. Um, I do... uh, A lot of my students don't like George Eliot. Some of them love... One one came up a couple of years ago and she said, reading Middlemarch changed my life, and I nearly hugged her. (laughs) I thought, oh, this this is what I want to hear. Some of them For don't. The word. don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shush. Well, there is that. Who Rebe- asked you? <laughs> there is that Rebecca Mead book, My Life with Middlemarch, which is about like her life of re- reading Re- reading yeah. Middlemarch. So it, when it affects yeah. you, it really it affects really you. It really does. Yeah. And, and, and the digging point is Dorothea. Uh, modern readers, I think, have a lot of problems with Dorothea. But then again, so did 19th century readers. So, look, I, I don't know. I, I think she's humane. She's complex. She's a fantastic writer I Mm. just love her prose so that's me yeah I mean I think for me you've touched on like a lot of the things that I think are crucial in the reasons behind why we still read Elliot but that idea that you mentioned about complexity um, she's such a clever writer and she takes ordinary life as she sees it you know this is the 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 supposedly the time of the the high Victorian realism, right? This is what we're interested in. We're interested in ordinary life. And she takes ordinary life seriously, but not dully. Like, it's fun at the same time as it's serious. And she presents us with characters who are so complex. They are, at the one and the same time, heroes and heroines, but at the same time, they're absolutely not. Um, Every character is not just doubled but they're tripled and quadrupled there are so many different layers of it Um, it's real 
but it's also ideal, but the ideal is undercut by the yeah. real and the real yeah. is undercut by the ideal. There's so yeah. much, yeah. So much um, layering yeah. and complexity yeah. in there yeah. that um, you can, it's, it's one of those texts that you can... Well, I'm talking about Middlemarch yeah. here in particular. Yeah. One of those texts that you can just continually return Come to back, again and yeah. again, That's and right. each time you return to it... Yeah. Um, something new leaps out at yeah, you and, and, yeah. and draws you in. And there's such a, a cleverness behind it. Yeah. And it's so artful, yeah. um, but at the yeah. same time seems yeah. so natural. Yeah. It's so well plotted. And she can be really funny too. Well, that's the thing. A lot of you know, people so don't say that She about takes it, it seriously. Yeah. She takes yeah. the, the yeah. story and the subject yeah. seriously, but there are some very funny there bits and very funny characters yeah. in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Mr. Feinstein's treatment of yeah. all of his friends and relations, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's like Miss Havisham's late relations in yeah. Great mm. Expectations yeah. without as much of the hyperbole mm. <laughs> but still with as much comic effect. Yeah, and Fred, Fred Grimsey yeah. bumbling around <laughs> trying to find life, making life meaningful, trying to find work, trying to make Mary love him and he does silly things and says silly things and yeah, yeah there, there's a, yeah, yeah I, I think, yeah. Well, that's a lovely description of it. Why do you like her? I, for all of the reasons that you've already, um, you've already touched on but but what really strikes me is what jeff said where you can go back to her and reread her and find different things like i find her novel so rich in that um and i find that they they shift with and i suppose this is true of all novels but i find it especially so with her they shift as you age what you find in Mm. them is is so kind of you know, when I first read Middlemarch, I was, you know, interested in Dorothea yeah. and, you know, yeah. in a kind of single-minded way and everything yes. else was just a distraction. Yes. But now I'm finding mm. as I, you know, I'm older and rereading it, it's it's not Dorothea, it's everybody else that is yeah. that is kind of more engaging to me. Not that I'm not interested in her, but no, it no. changes and it deepens. And I think she is, you're right, she's, she's so complex and she creates such a beautiful vision of the world. Mm. But this is a, a world. It's not mm. just... You know, a group of people mm. in mm. No, the world. That's right. She yeah. creates this vision yeah. of a whole kind of social kind of and she makes area. you believe it. And she makes she? you believe it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like it's like reading history, but it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's reading like this history of this of this like high Victorian moment, yeah. but in a kind yeah. of story yeah. way. Yes. Yeah. Well, I that's mean, a realist trick, isn't it? Yeah, that's if, right. If, if 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 a realist novel is really good at what they do. They are, you feel as if you've got the world there. Yeah, and you understand. You believe in the world. Yeah, you believe in the the You play the game willingly. And and then you believe in all the ways in which it's connected and not connected. Yes. Yeah. See that she's famous for this particular web, that sense of interconnectedness. Yeah. Where everything, if if you track everything in Middlemarch, everything actually is connected Connected, to everything else. So, and, and it's not sort of overwhelmingly obvious when you first read it, but when you go back to it, you, you see all, all, all of it's connected, either mm. thematically or, <coughs> or actually in terms of the plot. And, and you know, the, the interconnectedness is fundamental, but it's also rubbing up against the pretensions of society, so yeah. society's illusion that they're not connected, yeah. that there are these yeah. different yeah. Um, gender yeah. or class distinctions which yeah. thoroughly separate people yeah. mm. and so they yeah. act as though they're not yeah. all connected yeah. and yet they yeah, can't help but be connected and, well, that, and, yeah. and there's that tension that, that she yeah. um, exploits so beautifully yeah. for or even worse than that, they create fictions of connectedness, self-serving mm. fictions <laughs> of, of connectedness Yeah. yes, and she's sort of actually trying to get through that and under, uh, make us understand more meaningful connections mm. yeah, cross-class, cross-gender uh, 
I'm interested in what you said about Dorothea and your students yeah. um, and other oh. people, I suppose, um, re- relating yeah. to her. What is it about Dorothea oh, in Middlemarch that's so problematic? They get problematic? enraged with her because, because she marries she, an old she marries the old scholar. Why can't she just see that this is all wrong? This is a disaster from the beginning. This is a stupid thing. Yeah. And they think, well, she fails because she did something damn stupid. And, and they sort of, they don't take on what you have to take on, I think, to feel for her, is all the multiple ways in which she's positioned to make this stupid mistake. Yes, it's a personal error. Mm. And I think that's brought out brilliantly with Celia's reaction mm. to mm. herself. She really dodo, can't you? You know, he's his super scrapes and he's got moles. I mean, you, 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 you need a friend like that. <laughs> and Celia's got this real sexual disgust of, mm. of, of, of what she sees. She sees him as a mean old man, but she's got this feeling that he's sexually not right for Dorothea in a way that poor Dorothea can't see. And students just get fed up with that mm. and if you don't at some level see that there's a real tragedy in what she's doing if you don't feel compassion for her the novel does tend to fall apart a bit yeah and that's where they because you just think well she's cooking the book she's making a you know she's making a problem of, of something that wasn't there and that was what a lot of reviewers said mm, i said it, it's no good blaming gender inequities you know the, the stupid woman made the wrong mistake and everybody knew it was wrong except her so what's the matter with you there's yeah. nothing wrong with the position you can't whinge now <laughs> yeah, no you can't whinge because it's all your fault yeah so it's it, they're they actually in a in a great tradition of, of not like yeah. this aspect of people who didn't like um, dorothea but how do you react to dorothea differently from that i, I assume did, yes yeah. i i've always loved her but because of her imperfections because hmm. i think we're we're shown that right from the beginning, the scene where they divide the jewels up. Yeah. And she's so unaware of what she's and, doing. And yet she has the capacity to recognise yes. her error. Yes. And even in that yes. first chapter, so, yes. you know, it begins yes. with her yes. trying to console Celia yes. because she recognises yes. that she has hurt her and hurt offended her, her mm-hmm. and that she was in the wrong. She was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and she, she, the, the narrator yes. tells us that yes. she acknowledges that she yes, was in the wrong. she's wrong. Yeah, and yeah. and and so she has that humane capacity. I mean, yeah. she she is utterly human. Yeah. She mm-hmm. and, and the, you know yeah. this is what what yeah. what for me makes yeah. all of the characters. Everybody makes stupid mistakes. Yeah. Everybody in the novel um, they do. That's so true. Does yeah. stupid things. Yes, and yeah. some of them yeah. can't be recovered yeah. from. That's I mean, right. Mr. Featherstone realizes at the end he's yeah. made a stupid mistake. <laughs> but too late. But too late. <laughs> too yeah, late. Um, right. he can't rectify. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. Well, I love that point. Yeah, the, it, it, most of the characters do stupid things, and yeah. and that that is to be human. Yeah, to to be to where is human? Yeah. Well, that's. Right. I mean, yeah. I suppose a kind of more interesting definition of realism than the re- definition of realism, where it's like, oh, you know, we have to be kind of specific about, you know, where we are and what the tablecloths yeah. look like and all that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. You know, that is real realism because yeah. it's real to human experience. Well, that's right. Yeah. It's that, yeah. that that yeah. that accurate portrayal of human nature and human character, mm. and not being afraid. You know, for me, the the cleverness of it, of it is that, you know, Dorothea is set up as a stereotype. Mm. Um, and she never really stops being the stereotype, but she's much more than the stereotype. Yeah, yeah. So the stereotype yeah. operates. Um, she is Saint Teresa, 
the modern day centuries and but she's a centuriza who is rather than we get rather than getting a hagiography where she's perfect we see all the flaws we see the um, the real yes. human emerge from within yes. that character. Because she's short-sighted. <laughs> yeah. liable, liable to tread in, in... What is it? Liable to tread in, in the wrong places on the way to the New Jerusalem. Yeah. 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 But, but she's short-sighted. She can't see it. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's actually factored into her physicality as a character. And she's a dodo. Yes, she's a dodo. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. Which is never... No, that's never commented on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that nickname and what it might what mean it might to mean. the readers. Yeah. Well, yeah. since we talked about Dorothea, maybe you should talk about Will. Will Addislaw. Yes, Will next. Addislaw. Um, so yes. you've you've indicated Lee. Sorry. Shiftless. Shiftless. Well, you've indicated <laughs> Lee to me yeah. that that critics and readers are, are very divided about him. Yes, he's always had a bit of a bad press. He, a lot of the re- initial reviewers didn't like him. They thought, saw him as flighty. And Henry James, I think. Yeah, Henry James. Oh, Henry, James. <laughs> Henry James. A James lot of Henry James right. <laughs> headed a lot of things, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, 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 Don't mention the war. <laughs> um, people saw him... We, um, we were having a conversation earlier about um, uh, effeminate males in a certain other writer... <laughs> But people saw him as effeminate, too effeminate and flighty and light to be the hero. Mm. And someone, oddly enough, considering you know people had very mixed feelings about Dorothea, not good enough for Dorothea. Okay. <laughs> and I we don't like her, but we want someone we damn want, good we for want her. We want someone better for her. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I I've always loved him as a character. I've always loved him too. Yeah, I kind of see yeah. him as like an archetypal romantic figure. Oh, you know? so do I. So you're you're the there's only one male in the room. So now yeah, we've got now a we'll male consult the male. <laughs> yeah, tell us what do you? What, we bought in a token what, bloke for this. So you represent the blokes of the world. What what is? I'm real? hardly representative. <laughs> well, well, much more enlightened than most. Yeah, <laughs> you are the representative um, look, bloke. I have mixed feelings about him, but but you know I have mixed feelings about all the characters. Um, yeah. And I think I like him less than I like Fred Vinci, and I like him less than I like Lydgate. Lydgate. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not to say that I don't like him. And I think that artistically, at least, he is the perfect foil for Dorothea. Yeah. Um, because of the fact that he remains to the end relatively um, undetermined. He he continue yeah. he continues to be a character who doesn't stabilize, settle into one thing. That's very interesting. And has the yes. capacity for change. Yes. yes. Um yes. and so because, because you know, yes. Dorothea yes. is the the type. She's the stereotype who has a tendency to become very set, yes. very fixed, very short sighted, can't see beyond the immediate. And I think that he offers the perfect foil to that because of the fluidity, um, you know, because yeah. of the fact mm. that um, mm. he has that um, that farsightedness um, yeah. that that continually keeps on keeps him looking over the horizon for other things. And that's satirised as well. Yes. Um, well, I mean, but as he's ever, he can't. He, he's so far-sighted that he can't <laughs> actually he can't get see down what's and in do front of anything. Him. Yeah. 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 But he's, Dorothy's got the practicality. Yeah. She can get in and do the and stuff, and he has the, the vision. Well, what and you know, so in a way, like, and I, see, again, I've taught this text a number of times, and a lot yeah. of the time, people see the marriage with Will as being a real um, subversion of her of, of Dorothy's. Um, growing 
independence and potency in the world, yeah. all of a sudden she subjugates yeah. herself to another man, to another man. who yeah. is another type of Casabon. Like, he yes, is um, a man of ideas, yeah. he's a man of visions, yeah. of um, unrealised yes. great works, yes, 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 yes. and she is devoting herself yes. to his service. And he becomes right. a politician. <laughs> yeah. He becomes a politician. And so yeah. she's just exchanged one for the other. Yeah. yeah. The, the ultimate... Yeah. Type in our modern world of, of, of shiplessness of, of, of yeah. shapelessness, yeah, and, and a lot of other but like you know, fluidity. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Will has, you know, I, for for me, it's a. I mean, he's a very romantic figure in in yes. terms of you know we're thinking about romanticism and, 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 and you, he's when young we were discussing and, yeah, the, yeah, um, yeah. him last week. Shelley yeah. came up yeah, as an idea yeah, of a of a yeah, type, the, and, um, yeah, the the kind yeah. of Shelleyan type. He's got yeah. that radical political idealism. Yes. Um, yeah. Although Shelley would never become a politician. No. <laughs> no, but at the same time, he was very interested. He in, was very politically engaged. I mean, you engaged. know, he, he w- wouldn't have become a politician yeah. because yeah. being a poet for Shelley was, was more political yeah, than being a politician. politician. Yeah. yeah. Right? Being yeah. a poet, yeah. you became yeah, legislator of the world. Legislator of the world. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, th- th- becoming a politician would have been to blinker himself. Yeah. yeah. Um, imagination. For Shelley is the key yes, to um, bettering the human life, and mm-hmm. so the, the 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 role of the poet is to further the imagination. Um, Ladislaw has a similar um, yes. kind of a, a sensibility to him. There's a European um, aspect of Ladislaw too. That's yeah. interesting. That's well, Ladislaw is a Czech name, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, Slavic at least. Pol- it's Polish because they talk about him as being Polish. Right. So he has that. And when we first see him, he's in Rome with Nauman, the painter, mm. and he clearly has a sense of Europe as a place of potential and a place of being someone other than he might be at home. Mm. And it's interesting that when Will and Dorothea first meet, it's on that disastrous wedding journey to Rome with Casalban, and she realises the horror, the, the, the terrible mistake that she's made mm. and the fact that she can never get out of it. <laughs> And, and Will is, I think, one of the things I like about him. He's so perceptive. As soon as he sees her, he realises that she's been crying, although she hides it all. And the way she's speaking about the marriage, he's so... He, he drops his hat. He almost can't speak when, when, when she's just revealing inadvertently the horror of, of this wedding journey where Casalban is spending all the time in the Vatican life. <laughs> And so what everyone wishes their husband would do on their honeymoon. Of course, doing research in the Vatican Library. <laughs> what 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 else would you do on a honeymoon? <laughs> and, and, um, so and he's embedded sort of in that European setting. But Nauman is very satirical about Will. Mm. Yeah. And so Nauman is undermining his pretensions. So it's interesting that she's bringing because it's Middlemarch, the study of provincial life. Mm. And what Will brushes up against in Europe is, is is completely inimical to the sort of blinkered nature of life in the provinces in mm. England. So, but but then he can't, he's drawn back in into provincial life. Although they when they marry, they they obviously move away and live in London. And he doesn't get he doesn't get neither. Both of them escape Middlemarch. Yeah. Um, but but in you know in in a, in a different kind. They don't. Change Middlemarch. Middlemarch is the same when they leave it. They haven't been able to do anything, which is what Dorothea wanted to do. She wanted to make change at home. 
mm. in the people that she knew and grew up with, and that's a failure. She can't do that. Well, see, that's what I think is so interesting about Elliot, because I remember reading this as a fairly young person. I was probably at school, 16 or something. And, oh, um, did you? Oh, yeah, and I read it as, as a real love story between Dorothea and Will and just yeah. kind of ignored all of the satirical, as you say, that his pretensions are kind of satirised and, yeah. and there's, it's, there's much more complexity going on there yeah. in that relationship. Yeah. And so when I go back to it now, I think, how precisely did I read this as, a, as this grand romance? So, but I read it as like a, yeah. an almost like a Jane Eyre or a, or a Pride and Prejudice where they were these thwarted lovers. And and yeah. I just kind of ignored the real kind of as you say complexity of that of that relationship yeah. and how like his his political aspirations play out. But mm. I don't know. I just didn't see as a young that, person. That's interesting. I read it. I was a bit older. I read it at university, so I was very early twenties, but still not in my teens. Yeah. But I had that the same response as you did. That to, it, it was it was the working out of the romance. Yeah, it was like a tragic with, romance, but it, you know, and you wanted them to yeah. come together. Yeah, and, and I was just waiting yeah, for the whole bloody yeah. eight hundred pages for them to come together. You know, it was like, <laughs> yeah, hurry up, get to it. <laughs> what are all these other characters? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why are we talking about doctors up. and all of this sort of <laughs> stuff? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's funny how you the book yeah. changes. It's the power. Yeah. Yes, but isn't that right? When when you come back to it, because I've lost track of the amount of times I've read it. I love it so much, and when I read it, the the sentences almost come to meet me, you know, as yeah. I'm reading it. And but you're so that what you say is so true. As you get older, as you do more reading yourself, the novel changes. It's yeah. not a stable thing, is it? And now I think I, I think like it, like you were saying, Jeff, before you know, she has just substituted one husband for another who's pretty yeah. much yeah. not the same but yeah. no, broadly that, that similar a, that, that's <laughs> a really that's, that's scary yeah but as I said earlier on as well one of the things is that if you think about it hard enough you can almost read every character in the book as a double for every other character yeah that's, that's right true. That's there, exactly are, there right. is such yeah. like complexity yep. in the way that she sets up yep. all of the characters yep. that you know it's difficult to find a way in which the characters don't duplicate yes. an, any other yes. character yes. at yes. some point in the narrative, yes. at the same time as being independent of them and different. And yes. the the way in which I suppose they're determined... That, so, so, you know, it, it kind of, you know, emphasises that connectedness yes. of the basic human yes. nature of the yes. human character. Yes. And so then whatever differences emerge yes. become differences of choice or of context mm. or of... Um, uh, uh, positioning responses to you know mm. social phenomena around mm. them, mm. rather than necessarily something that's ingrained and instinctive yes, in instinctive in the human character. Yeah. There, there's yeah. so much commonality yeah. amongst all of the characters yeah. Yeah. Um, that you know it is easy to see you know a ca- a Lattice Law as a, a as as the double of Casabon, but he is also the double of Lydgate. He's yeah. also the double of um, yes. Fred Vincey. He's yes. also Yes. Um, you know, there, there are so many potentials yes. for how he is, and, he's, yes. and and so he acts as a kind of a double of Dorothea as well. You know, yes, in that does. way that um, yes, because you can cross the gender lines. Yeah, well, even it. like the far-sighted, short-sighted kind of. You know, yes. he's the far-sighted one; yes. she's literally short-sighted. Yes. You know, there's yes. a nice kind of you know contrast or yes. drawn out there. Yes. Yeah, a friend of mine who's an historian, um, Ruth Richardson, written. Writes wonderful stuff, and she's a Dickens expert. But she's doing work on um, uh, Nightingale, um, Florence Nightingale, 
And Nightingale said something really fascinating about Middlemarch. Ruth sent me this little paragraph where Nightingale, Florence Nightingale said, found the ending frustrating and just picked up those, those connections that you're making that what she, she goes from one man to another mm. and she's used as a word and I just can't think of what the word is. It's, it's, a, it's a word for a leprechaun, clarion or something, and she describes Will in that way. And, and this little leprechaun is the one who gets into the rich man's cellar and drinks his wine and he doesn't like work mm-hmm. and, and, and Florence Nightingale says why the hell <laughs> she doesn't say it in exactly these words but why the hell does George Eliot make Dorothea marry, why is the resolution of all her problems yet another marriage Nightingale says we're crying out for women but to see, go I think, into the I professions think that I think that work. there's a mistake in reading it as a resolution to all her problems because I don't think that Eliot sees there being a resolution to all her problems. No, I, I, I might think, be I think, misrepresenting. But, but, but I think that's the way people of the often plot. do. That's yeah. the way people often do read it. Yeah. You know, the resolution yeah. of the novel yeah. is, is the a romantic ending or a yeah. comedic ending at least, yes. where the the problems it's, are overcome and yes. everything is resolved and yes. people. Yes. go on and live happily ever after and I don't think Elliot allows us no, that kind of idealism. No, but I think Nightingale was saying, why don't we, if we avoid the word resolution, why isn't the end of the novel where Dorothea becomes an independent woman on her own and, and seeks some kind of, she's independently wealthy, there's nothing stopping Dorothea going mm. to London and helping Florence Nightingale if you'll allow her to move out of the Yeah, allow her to move yeah, out of the fictional world. Across history and yeah. across out of history into the real world, but that's what I think Nightingale was getting upset that that pattern of fulfilment for women as problematic as it is is still being presented as through marriage it, it's it's a romance plot and, and well I think that that's something that Victor- yeah well Victorian fiction yeah. really doesn't solve that because even no. if you get to you know no. Lee and I have been working on on new women fiction yeah. and new woman fiction is all about you know women getting out into professions and becoming yeah. professional writers or yeah. photographers or yeah. you know opening up shops and all of this yeah. it still ends mostly with marriage you know so it's not it's not a yeah. I mean I, I kind of feel like I understand where, where Florence Nightingale is coming with that critique, and I yes. also kind of increasingly kind of share that perspective, yes. but I also yes. think it's something that she can't solve by herself. No, you know? no, no. And I think, you know, part of with the agenda of the novel to be uh, an accurate depiction of provincial life, the pressure's on Doris. So, you know, yes, she has the potential yes. to be independent. Yes. But the, the social pressures upon her remain... Yeah to within the broader social picture um, the role of the woman is to bear children to support her husband husband. Um, and Elliot you know is aware that there are other options but her own life manifests that her own own life manifests that but she's also aware of the pressures on the real or or the imagined individual in this provincial world what does Virginia Woolf say George Eliot is the only novelist for grown-up people, and she stuck to the hard facts. And I'm sure she was talking about this Dorothea. Right, and so, you know, the, the, the right. idea of, of Dorothea going yeah, off and yeah, becoming yeah, the independent yeah, women, yeah, yeah, woman yeah. is an idealised vision yes. that Eliot can't allow to stand. And that's a fantasy, it's, isn't it's it? A fantasy, it's a fantasy, right. It's a, it's yeah. a fantasy, it's, a, it's yeah. an I- ideal. Yeah. It's a um, fantasy as much as the romantic ending is a fantasy. Yeah. Yes. 
But as you're saying, George Eliot in her own life wasn't. She came yeah. out of Middlemarch. She, she's triumphantly yeah. left it and became this amazing right. So, and, and had a very unconventional sexual life as well. She was yeah. a fallen woman as well as the sage and the great writer. Yeah. So, and lots of other women did it. Lots of other women weren't destroyed by the Middlemarch social frameworks and limitations. But I'm, I'm with Jeff I, too. I, I think it's a more upsetting novel if you, and a more a novel that's more likely to make you want to change things if you see Dorothea as partly terribly destroyed by what she's had to grow up with and what she's had to. She's dealt a rotten hand, and she can't. She's actually actually can't win. Well, and all of those, you know, the central couples. So yeah, Vidgate and oh, Rosamund. Yes. Fred and yes, Mary, yes, um, yes. Dorothea and yes, Will. Yes. Like, it's not a happy ending, really, for any oh, of them. Oh, it's hot. No. Right. no. <laughs> can, can, can I ask you two about Lydgate? Because I think he's... See, I started, when I used to read it, I, like you, I thought about Dorothea, but the more I read it now, the more I get intrigued by Lydgate. Yeah. So what? I think the first time I read it, it was more a book about Lydgate for me see? than it was about yeah. Dorothea. Yeah, see, the bloke speaks. Um, <laughs> But yeah. now I'm feeling yeah. that too. Yeah. Now I read it, yeah. and I'd like you, I'm yeah. coming around like, like yeah. I, my yeah. first reading, I thought Lydgate was kind of a distraction. Well, you know, more recently, yeah, I've been far lovely. more fascinated by Mr. Fairbrother than I have by Lydgate. Because <laughs> he's got the really tragic kind oh, yeah. of, you know, yes, heroic he does, he? action, you know, where he puts himself yes. out of the picture in order to promote Fred's romance with um, Mary. Yes. Um, um, and he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. No, that's true. Um, yes, no, I, I think that's. <laughs> I think it's fascinating that as a see the difference between male and female readers. When you first read it, it was it was a story about Lydgate. But I, I, I have to admit, I read it under sufferance. It was you know, <laughs> it recall. was Lee was my tutor as <laughs> an undergraduate. Years the secrets ago. are coming out. Yeah. <laughs> Mask the microphone. <laughs> And let's say I didn't quite finish it the first time around. So Lee was a tutor of Jeff, and Jeff was a tutor of me. So it's it's come full circle. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, you know the the problem with time, of course, yeah. it wasn't that I wasn't enjoying it; it was just time. Yes, Jeff. But but yes. you know, so yeah. reading it in that way, and I was reading it fast, and yeah. I was reading it yeah. without the, yeah. the the ability to really yeah. kind of to, kind of engage yeah. in the yeah. um, the splendid. Um, all these things that complexity of it. Yeah. You know, I was trying yeah. to I was yeah. trying to latch onto some things that I could write about in my essay or <laughs> or some witty or, bon mods for your tutorial perhaps. <laughs> That's right. Um, well actually main, mainly to <laughs> mainly to get through the uh, the comprehension tests that we that we had we used to these passages. No, it wasn't I, I inherited them. I, <laughs> I, I had to admit it. Oh really? You know, I wish you wouldn't rake up <laughs> But no I think it's but what because uh, I think he's a fascinating character, and I think we were going to talk about some of the things we don't like about George yes. Eliot. And I think, you know, she's Lydgate's fate is so cruel. Yeah, it really tears me to bits. I'm much more upset about what happens to Lydgate than I am to Dorothy. Uh, to Dorothy, because at least Dorothy falls in love. Yeah, they're sexually attracted. They're, 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 she is going to have a happy life, even though it's not, you know, the best of all possible worlds type life. But Lydgate is utterly, utterly destroyed. Well, somebody said to me once in relation to her, George Eliot's heroines, 
that she doesn't allow her heroines the liberties that she herself took in life and that that was what annoyed her about Elliot. But I kind of feel like she does that to the men as well. Like, she doesn't really let anybody off the hook. No. Like, it's not just her heroines. I mean, I kind of agree and disagree with that, but I think with Lydgate you can see her not letting anybody... It's off the terrible. hook, you know, and, there's no yeah. happy ending. And it's his sexual desire. It, it's this, this fatality of the desire he feels for Rosamond. He yeah. cannot, it just, it destroys him. And, and she's a fascinating, this, this perfectly feminine yeah. woman who is lethal, who is absolutely unstoppable. She's a torpedo. She mm. cannot be stopped. And he just, and she just, it's just awful what, what, the destruction of him and all his the best impulses to save the world and and go and be a doctor in the poor parts of town and help <laughs> real people. He becomes an expert in gout mm. <laughs> and, a, and a horror of a it very is. a very debilitating illness. I must well, say. <laughs> yes, and it's a disease of the rich. The rich, that's and right. He the, the Henry VIII disease. <laughs> so, in the in the eyes of the world, he's a success. In his own eyes. He's a terrible failure, yeah. and it kills him because yeah. he dies when he's only fifty. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I think, oh, George Eliot, why did you do that to such a nice, nice what, you know? <coughs> but but this is what the novel does. Mm. They all make stupid mistakes, yeah. and yeah. usually, it. I mean, you know, he he can never yeah. recover from it. Yeah. Dorothy no, uh, no. maybe recovers, yeah. but then she yeah. makes the mistake again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, depending on how you kind depending, of well, read the you mistake. Know, depending yeah. on how you read it. And I mean, I, I agree probably, you know, we seem to be set up to believe that she she's going to have a happy life yes. with Will, even, yes. it's not, even if it's not an unproblematic yeah. life. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, being sexually attracted <coughs> to the person you're married to is not, it's not a mean... Yeah, it's, no, yeah, it's a good start. Trivial, <laughs> you know. It's more than she had the first time around, so we're getting there. So, so that aspect of it is fine, yeah. But I, I think that I, I just... And what worries me a bit... See, there's a whole um, line of argument about George Eliot, and it's been part of feminist criticism for a long while, that she insists with these very complicated deterministic worlds where everything is connected with everything else that there are kind of ironclad consequences for every act and you cannot escape that and that's the moral vision of the novel you have to be careful what you do because you can't mm. you know what's done cannot be, be undone, undone blah yeah. blah blah and and I think but Carol Christ wrote this fascinating journal article it's in the 19 19- 70s called Aggression and Providential Death in George Eliot's Fiction and Christ argues that George Eliot cheats, that she insists that Dorothea has made this terrible mistake and that she has no other option but to stay with the marriage and if and Casalban gets to the point where he's saying to her, even when I'm dead you've got to con- complete the key to all <laughs> mythologies, which will take her the rest of her life. Yeah. What happens at the very instant where she is to promise that she will do that, he dies. Yeah. And Carol Chris says, oh, come on. It's very convenient. You know, geez, you know. That, Let's kill that, off the So audience. why didn't George Eliot follow through the implications for her own views, which is some mistakes that we make cannot be undone and we must be forced to live with the consequences of them. Therefore... Dorothea stay, Casalban stays alive. He's only in his early, early 40s. He could have lived for another 20 years and her life is More, with him yeah. forever. Well, I mean, God, can you imagine how 
dreary and terrible well, than terrible. all this. It would have destroyed her life. and made yeah. her utterly miserable. But if you're saying, well, she, it was her choice, but she doesn't cook the books for Lydgate. See, remember that scene in The Green Dragon where he's playing billiards with Fred Vincy and yep. Fred comes in and sees that Lydgate is trying to play for money. And Fred, it's a wonderfully observed scene. Fred sort of just touches him or nudges his elbow and says, and he breaks Lydgate out of the trance Lydgate mm-hmm. is in as he's trying to win money at billiards. Mm-hmm. And I always think, well, you know, if Lydgate had won the lottery or something, <laughs> he would have been very useful. It would have been fine, but she's never going to let that happen. And people didn't win lotteries in real life. You know, she, so she doesn't, it, it sort of, it has always bothered me that some characters she will let off the hook. Well, Fred gets let off the hook. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Fred yeah. gets yeah. pretty much everything. Yeah, he gets he everything. Yeah. That he needs anyway. Yeah, I mean, but of course, you know, his, yeah. his, his getting what he needs comes with his ability to recognise his need to yes. transform or change or yes. being brought up into yes. the, 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 That's the right. obviousness yes. of yes. the delusory yes. life that he's yes. been living yes. in where he's going to be yes. Mr. Featherston and live in the yes. the, the grand, yes. grand estate at yes. Stone Court and yes. Yes. instead he has to work and he has yes. to... <laughs> <laughs> Alright. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so, so, you know, yeah. he, he gets away yes, he does. with it. He does. But at the same time, he also has to live, live with the consequences. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, everybody gets away with it yeah. but has to live with the yeah. consequences yeah. Yeah. at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Um, whatever happiness there is, yeah. it's... And, and see, part of Lydgate's tragedy is that he's not really ever able to live with the consequences no. and hence he dies yeah. and she never left um, the author and see Casabon has to die because he can't change he either can't. no he, he no. is a he's no. an already dead character when mm. Dorothy Harry's in he's, he's a yeah <laughs> but he, as husband he has absolute power yeah, yeah. And, and, and I mean there's an interesting connection because it's you know set during the time of the reform bill as yes. well and there's yeah, all of that too. there's yeah. all of that um, yeah. idea which is debated yeah. from the time of the French Revolution on about yeah. the um Tom Paine writes about about the inheritance and the the, the the idea of of one generation being able to impose their ideas about what's right onto the next okay. generation as being one of the greatest crimes of human history. Okay. Um, but it's a it's a form of um, trying to own the future, right. and um, it's a it's a haunting. He has this whole Gothic spectral imagery involved in it, yeah. and and oh, you know that's exactly the you know so. Yeah. You know, the reform bill is kind of is in a way an attempt to put aside that yeah. past yes. um, the the Gothic architecture oh, of the like English constitution, yeah. put it a, yeah. a, aside and yeah. bring in a new yeah. future. Yeah. But at the same, Casabon is yeah. that relic of the past. Yeah. He is the yes, relic, right. yeah. <laughs> and so he must. Um, and he's yeah. also the the haunting yeah. figure. He is yes. the yeah. the leash. Yes. The um, yes. And while he's alive, there is no change yeah. possible. And he and he tries to manage things even beyond his actual physical Absolutely. death. Absolutely, and he's unable to. He's That's unable a fascinating to exercise context that to put it in, and the gothic haunting. Yeah. yeah. Haunting well, what's the... interesting too is that is that the work that I've done on like women writing about um, the French Revolution and reform is that they look to the Magna Carta a lot as a yeah. kind of like, and and this is a common kind of thing in eighteenth late eighteenth century writing is. Mm. The Magna Carta shows that it's in the DNA of the British to reform peacefully. Right, that right. that peaceful reform, or at least gradual reform yes, of the kind that the Magna Carta kind of instituted, yeah. isn't it? Legislative, you know, legislative change yeah. is yeah. is an inheritance of the British, and is why the British Constitution is so kind of strong because 
they have shown a capacity to reform without cutting the king's head off. Although they did cut well, the king's head off, but we'll just forget about that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll just forget about the, the 17th century and move, move quickly along. Um, so there's an interesting connection there too about that idea of reform and what reform means yes. in the British context, yes. which is something that you wanted to talk about, Lee, yes. in relation to the politics of the novel. Well, see, I I think if you if you I think George Eliot in Middlemarch humanises politics. I I think you've both put it in fascinating historical context. I'm going to sort of bring it back a little bit to that more familial context and that idea that. That idea that the goodness—it's—it's it's away from the whole idea of legislative reform, and more, that away from the idea of big R reform into little R reform, <laughs> coming through the decency of people with each other. Mm-hmm. That people—it's the rescue into love thing. Yeah. If you're putting it into heterosexual romance terms, but the idea that I think is central to all George Eliot's novels—that at that micro level you can make things better by making things better just here and now with, with your nearest and dearest. That, that's not as an interesting a point as that you two are making. No, I, no, think, I think it, it is. is. But it's, it's, it's a very true thing as well. I mean, Mr Brooke, who you know runs yes. the Parliament on the reforming yes. platform, is yes. humiliated. Yes. That kind of Grand political reform yes. is at least satirised. Yes. Um, yes. 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 <coughs> it's it's not it's not that it's not it, that it's cast as being unworthy or a no. bad idea, but no. um, the, certainly the kinds of people who go into it and the reasons that they go into it and Already what have it's, you. Already, it's a degraded thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, motives, and, yes. and so it does, you know, it does take a, yes. a far greater interest in yes. the personal, yes. um, a bit, you know, yes. the, the way in which a, yes. a, an individual can do things to their own life yes. and to their own thinking and, and character, and that, which and has so a grand effect. So, so you know, Dorothy and all Dorothy's plans for Middlemarch yes, yes. are also, yes. you know, essentially come to nothing. Yes. Um, yes. And yet, the things that she does in her personal yes. life, her ability to so Will Great first of all breaks all, away from yeah, the, benef- yeah, the benefactor, yeah, the beneficiary yeah, yes, of um, Casabon, yeah. and then Dorothea does the same. Yes, they they, yes, they cast they, that they, aside, they, yes, the inheritance, yes, and yes, and we all know yes, how strong a theme yes, that idea of inheritance and property oh, and inherited wealth is for yes, um, the the social milieu of the time and the way in which um, fiction renders the social milieu yes, of the time, and so they they they're putting aside that inherited past yeah. in that yeah. very personal way and, and then building themselves it. a space yes. where they can yeah. do something a little bit different and that is the yes. radical thing. Yes, and it's the radicalism of that that Eliot, I think, sees as more enduring. Mm. She sees that as genuine. Change. Yes. Remember there's that lovely exchange. I think it's with it's Caleb Garth. It's either with his wife or with Fred and he says, I don't know why people go into politics I can't stand seeing mismanagement over one acre of <laughs> land, let alone watching it unfold over the whole country. I, cr- I can't do that. I will take care of my one acre of land. 
and I think if you're looking for a moral centre of the novel, Caleb Garth yeah. might be it, although I find it irritating. <laughs> but I, I think that... that um, well, see, again, he's one of the less real characters. Well, he is. He's so, such an idealised... He, he, he is, he is. And, and, and therefore he's yes. irritating. Yes, you know. yes he, he's, he's not alive in the way that But the especially, too, are. because it's a book full of such kind of complex yes. characters. Yes. When somebody isn't, yes. it's just... Yeah, it jars. It, it jars. Yes. I think the whole he does Garth, leave money to Fred. Yeah, I think the whole Garth, <laughs> Mrs. Garth annoys the living daylights out of me. Yeah. Although the narrator just loves her and keeps saying how good she is. I think she's a tyrannical. Do you use anything tongue in cheek though? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about the intrusive narrator too. So that's a nice kind of segue. Okay, the intrusive what, narrator. What, right. what do you make of this intrusive narrator? Um, oh, some uh, look until I. I, I think when I first read the novels, I just sort of took the narrator on trust. But it's a feminist analysis that separated. It started with Sandra uh, Gilbert and Gubar in The Mad Woman in the mm-hmm. Attic mm-hmm. saying that there's a feminist author behind the male narrator in George Eliot's fiction. And so they set up that capacity to separate out the narrative voice from George Eliot as, as author and to see, to take the whole George Eliot thing and see the narrator as a, as a separate entity, and I, I, I get because I do a lot of close reading of the novels. I've started to pick up the multiplicity of instances where what the narrator says is happening and what it means is not what it's actually meaning in the plotting and the way the, the novel mm. is actually unfolding. Mm. So I think I've been able to deal with the intrusiveness of the narrator much better since I've understood the narrator as a very flawed voice mm-hmm. not an authority not, yeah. not a position of authority at all which it seems to be but but actually compromised and just almost as compromised as any of the characters in the fiction now whether George Eliot herself would have liked that reading of it I don't know but that's the way I cope with the intrusive narrator but I think you're right that when you first read the novel, at least when I first read the novel, I didn't think much of it. No, I didn't either. You just take no, it on. I didn't even think of it as intrusive, I don't think. I just really, I, I actually quite liked it. A lot mm. of students don't. This is why I, I mentioned that a lot of students get really enraged by it. And I found that I could teach the novel um, to a much, in, in a better way if I said to the students, look, don't take the narrator on trust. Mm start looking at what's happening in the novel and what the narrator is saying is happening and you'll see that it's not the same so therefore you don't have to take this rather sometimes rather bullying <laughs> tone of the narrator and I, I just think it makes the fictions more interesting mm-hmm. uh, what about you? well I mean it, it, it's interesting because I, I also don't particularly think that I've ever found the narrator to be particularly intrusive um <coughs> But I also, you know, I, I think as um, literary critics, yeah. we have been trained yeah. to never take a narrator's voice on trust. <laughs> yeah. We're constantly poised to distrust everyone. <laughs> we are. Well, to ask questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm to, just kidding. To, yeah. Know, but, but, yeah. But, but, but essentially, yeah. you know, to yeah. be sceptical. So, yeah, you know, that's somebody, right. sceptical when, when the narrative voice is telling you something's happening, okay, yes. is it really? Is it? <laughs> yeah. Is that really what's going on? And so... For me, I think by the time I, I read Middlemarch properly, yeah. I was already thoroughly ingrained in that practice, yes. and so I didn't yes. have the problem of yes. of wondering whether I had to accept the narrative yes. voice yes. 
as the ultimate authority, yes. Yes. and and so yes. therefore Reddit as a character, and and also you know being a a Byronist, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know where Don Juan the narrator is so brilliantly um, flawed, yeah. and so yeah. you know it, it yeah. is Byron and it isn't Byron and it yeah. is authoritative yeah. and it's completely unauthoritative, yeah. and um, so you know approaching it in that kind of mindset where you know you read it through you take what it says as being um an articulation of a particular yes. viewpoint yes but it's not necessarily a viewpoint which is shared by the novel yes, yes. you know and, and, and so you need to tease yes. out yes. yes what the novel is telling what us what it's doing what's happening aside from what the narrative is yes. yeah. yeah yeah so i i i much i'm i'm interested too in the degree, and I've never been able to sort this out in my classes or in my own thinking of the novel, is whether the narrative voice is a male voice. Are we? Mm. Do, do we read it, as, George Eliot? Do we read it as male? It's funny. I've always read it as male. Mm. I've read it. I've always read it as female. Really? Yeah. yeah. See, I think I have too. But as female? Yeah. <coughs> I've always. I know. I. I think I initially read Middlemarch certainly as a male narrative yeah. voice. I don't know why. Yeah. Not so much her other novels. Yeah. Well, the, the narrative voice is different. Well, yeah, I know, but I mean, but, but, no, yeah, yeah, but I just, it, it, I, I haven't really kind of, yeah. I don't know, I just read the narrative voice in Middlemarch as male. There's a performance aspect of it too, because at certain points she's definitely performing that idea of masculine authority through the narrative voice, but other, at other points I don't think she is. Yeah, that's interesting. So yeah. how much is she radicalising the idea of narrative authority? Yeah, the narrative authority yeah, can come from a woman. Can, yes, can it come from a woman? And what do you? how do you configure that in the actual texture of, of, of the novel? I mean, itself? again, Eliot, as a, as a figure, presents us with a complex problem about, mm. you know, the, yeah. the, the real female... Yeah who adopts the male pseudonym yeah. to write her fiction, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. how do we gender that? Right? It, 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 it creates a gender yes. problem, yes. Um, yeah. which is yeah. very... It, it remains really yeah. difficult to uh, resolve. And, and we have this you know, desire, I suppose, to determine a gender. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I said that I read it as a female voice, but actually I think I, I really try not to read it as a gendered voice. I try to read it as a... As a neutral. As a neutral yeah, voice. Yeah, like an um, that's interesting, yeah. a neutral narrative story. Well, there's that tradition of the storytelling voice is a non-gendered, isn't it? Yeah. Well, although, is it non-gendered or is it masculine? Or is it implicitly masculine? It's implicitly masculine. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. non-gendered is implicitly masculine. Yeah, but I don't, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah, that it yeah. has to be no, that simple. No. I think that often it is, yeah, but I don't yeah, think it has to be. No, I agree, yeah. Well, I, I thought that we might wrap up our conversation by looking at George Eliot as like a cultural figure and mm. what she means, especially mm. because she has been the, the, the female writer who's retained the male pseudonym. You know, we don't yeah. call Charlotte Bronte Carabelle, no, but we still no, call we still call her George. Yeah. So, so what do you think she means now as a cultural figure, and what does she come to mean? I suppose. I don't know. Um, I don't know what. I mean, it, it's getting at modern reading practices, and I, I don't know the degree to which she's she doesn't have anything like the authority now that that she had in her own time. Yeah. And I think for uh, 
she sort of got put on a pedestal in, in her own time and this is what the modernists hated about her and they sort of just really knocked her off and said she was a boring dull Victorian blah 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 well but the modernists we that, can ignore them yeah, we, well, we can ignore them but, but no <laughs> they were very damaging they were very <laughs> but, but they, she was sort of seen as this figure of this sage figure this, and, and a lot of people who knew her at the time said that that's unfair she was a much more interesting more sceptical person than yeah. she was manufactured as being but she sort of worked on that position of being the, the sage and, and mm. the rest of it so look a, as a cultural is it George Levine who says he cannot think of anyone in the 19th century who can really survive a strictly intellectual comparison with George Eliot he thinks as highly as that I think it's George Levine I hope I'm not misquoting him he thinks she, as an intellect she was just overwhelming in the 19th century so, um, and I think that's true, and I think it's amazing that an, an intellect of that capacity was not a philosopher, wasn't a scientist, but she's Always actually creating yeah. fictions. And I think that, in some sense, is how she was received in her own time. And now, I, I just don't know, because I like her so much and because I read her, I, I, I don't know what kind of cultural currency she has in these days. I think she's she's feared a little bit. I, I kind of yeah. think that she's got this reputation as this, you know, intense intellect and, yes. and you know, that she was the, the kind of very serious kind of yes. you know, moral very, very kind very of serious. classic you realist. the way that people don't pick up on the humour. They, they tend yeah. to focus on other things That's and don't exactly pick right. up on the humour yes. of her. Yes. And yes. I think that there yes. is that, you know, yes. she carries with her this baggage of the intellectualism and, yeah. and of the, the seriousness of And therefore she's unapproachable. Yes. Yeah. And that she's not readable. I remember a friend saying that she, she conspicuously displays Middlemarch on her bookshelf because it gives off a certain kind of aura <laughs> of intellectualism. You know, it's, it just Put it puts it there. James Joyce. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you'll really scare oh, everybody. Yeah. But I think people think that she's not, like, readable or approachable or... I, yeah. I think there's a certain kind yeah. of fear about reading yeah. her now. Yeah. I don't think she's... She's, she's not what is popularly read. for TV far less than yeah. what, yes. say, Austen, Austen or Dickens. That's or right. Dickens yeah. Are. Yes, if you think of the Prontes, um, yes, and, and I think people yeah. think that, like, you know, putting her up against Dickens, Dickens is going to be the kind of easier read, whereas yeah. I don't necessarily no, think that's I don't the think case. That's true, I, I mean, I find yeah. Dickens yeah. half great and half deadly dull, so, you know, yeah, that's, yeah, that was... problematic. Yeah, yeah. so I well, think the people are scared. He's funny. He is funny. <laughs> yeah. But I think people are scared of her. I think the interconnectedness is, is, is wonderful in Bleak House. Mm. Um, mm. Anyway, yeah. Maybe we I have to have another Dickens. We'll have to have another session. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring some students in and put them on. on yeah, spot. yeah. We can grill them well, about yeah, their opinions yeah, yeah, on Middlemarch. Yeah, yourself away from Twitter. And yeah, yeah. Tell us what you think of Middlemarch. Well, you know, I kind of think that you have to read Middlemarch in order to get an English degree. <laughs> it's one what of those books. Idea. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, one of those yeah, books where I feel yeah. like you haven't kind of yeah. done it. Properly, yeah. if you haven't read Middlemarch. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Stephanie is so right, isn't she? So Jeff right. is, is enigmatically smiling, like he thinks that's a really terrible idea. I, I'm not an absolutist. <laughs> well, see, I, I like making absolute statements yes, that can be later pulled apart. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely fabulous. <laughs> I think that's just about it now that we've degenerated into, yeah, into AbFab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <I'll laughs> no, 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 that's all good. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. 
That was a great conversation. Um, this has been another episode of From the Lighthouse. We miss you, Jimmy and Michelle, but we'll show you we'll be back soon. Um, if you could rate and review us on iTunes, that would be greatly appreciated as um, that really helps other listeners to find the show and everyone should get to listen to our musings on George Eliot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye.